0: Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church.
1: Right, good morning everyone. Oh, that's nice to everyone's alive, that's excellent. Um, I want to dive straight in, I've got a few questions for you. Sorry Paul, you're going to dive straight off the stage, excellent. Do you ever feel like you don't belong? There's always one, Peter. There's two, Peter, as well. Um, Do you you ever feel like this life should be easier than it is? If you're investigating following Jesus, or you are a follower of Jesus, do you struggle with the question of why they're still suffering? Why am I still trying? Why is it still hard? Finally, do you find it a challenge to find joy? For the sake of this series, starting a new series in Philippians, we're going to use JOY as an acronym, um, which stands for, so Finding Joy in What Jesus Offers You. We're going to look at where we can find joy in all circumstances, even in the difficult or the hurting times. We're going to dig into this wonderful letter, and we're going to hear from the man who, though in chains, is joyous and full of love. For the recipients, recipients of his letter. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, wonderful preacher, says of Philippians, I defy you to find anywhere a more joyful letter than Paul's epistle to the, to the Philippians. The apostle cannot contain himself. We're going to study Paul's joy and its foundation over the coming couple of terms alongside some of our other series. And my desire is for BFC to be a church filled with the joy of the Lord. A church that's made up of people from all different backgrounds and situations, just like the Philippians church, as we're going to find out in a minute, are people unified in spirit and in soul. Before we dig in, though, we're going to have a couple of readings. Um, Can I ask Rue and Chris to come up um, and uh, to to read those for us? Um, Rue's reading from uh, Acts chapter 16, which is the part of Acts where Paul arrives in the city of Philippi, and uh, we're going to hear that now.
0: We went to Philippi, a Roman colony, and a leading, district of the city, a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out straight away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit had gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains became loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household.
1: And our next reading is from uh,
2: Philippians 1. Cool. Uh, Paul and Timothy, serve servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in the Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the other se- seers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my, Lord, my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all that you, that you are in every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel and for, for, from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through jesus christ to the the glory and praise of god
1: thank you chris thank you rue it's good to hear scripture read out it's it's, in the early church it would have been these letters would have been received and particularly this one we know it would have been read out to everyone in the church and it would have been stood and it would have been read out um so it's good for us to hear the word of god let's pray Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are so good to us. You've done so much for us, Lord, and I pray that even now you be good to us in opening up your words to us. Help us to hear uh, with ears that are open to what it is you want to say to us this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you so often speak through a message and you so often speak to us individually as the word is preached. So I pray you'll be doing that this morning, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, we start in Acts with a lady called Lydia, and I've got her modern representation just here. You may not notice because the projector's a bit dull, but she's wearing a purple top. Um, she was a wealthy woman. She was in fashion design, probably. She traded in fine purple fabrics. She was from a city of Thyatira, and she had a house in Philippi. She was a bit of an oddity in the city. Um, see, most people, most everyone else, would have believed in a different number of gods. Um, but, and being a Roman city, most people would have worshipped and honoured the emperor as a god. Lydia, though, was different. She believed in the one God and would meet with her friends to pray by the river just outside the city gates. And we've just heard of her coming to realize that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah in Acts chapter 16. And there's this one Sabbath day that Luke tells us about in Acts. uh, And she's sitting by the river with her friends to pray. And they, they were approached by this group of men. sat with them and paul and his friends with him probably including luke and timothy they sat down and paul shared with them the gospel of jesus the good news of jesus and the gospel of the one this is the gospel of the one true god who they had been seeking in prayer by the river that day and in hearing paul's teaching god opened lydia's heart to pay attention to what paul was saying and she believed and we know that then she was baptized If you're by the river and you believe the gospel and decide to follow Jesus and all that entails, the next step is to get baptised, it would seem. Being a wealthy woman, Lydia had space to put up this group of travellers, and she urged them to stay at her house whilst they were in the city. She was generous, and many believe that it was at her house that the church in Philippi gathered. The next story we hear is of a slave girl. Um, And it's at the completely other end of the scale. Lydia was the wealthy businesswoman who knew relative freedom in life. This next person is found in a very different situation. On another Sabbath day, Paul and his friends were heading to the place of prayer, probably again down by the river, when they encountered this fortune-telling slave girl. She may have been a younger woman rather than a child, but importantly, she was a slave. She likely had little to call her own, and she was exploited for her abilities. She was an asset to her owners, even though what they were using her for weren't what you might call savoury things. She was valued for her abilities, but not for who she was. In reality, the abilities that she had were no good for her. And her owners just took advantage of this. Um, and in today's society, it's just, just like a form of abuse. She was poor. She didn't even own herself. She probably even considered herself Worthless. Yet even she, in her spiritually depraved state, she saw what Paul and his friends were doing, and she went around after them, proclaiming what they were doing, declaring the truth. These men were proclaiming the way of salvation. The Bible tells us she had a spirit of divination, that Paul eventually turned and commanded the spirit to come out of her, and from then on she was released. Even with this poor, slightly annoying girl, the gospel was made clear, and she knew freedom from the oppression she had been under. The gospel had an impact on Lydia at the wealthy end of the spectrum, as well as this slave girl who didn't even own herself. Next, we have our jailer. He looks quite friendly up there. Um, We've heard heard the story. Because of the people getting angry, the owners getting angry uh, at losing their income, Paul and Silas were brought before the magistrates, and they were stripped. They were beaten with sticks and thrown into prison. And they were thrown into the inner prison where their feet were locked into the stocks. And, you know, you just have to imagine, you have to piece these things together. They've been whipped and beaten. Their feet are put into stocks. It's the middle of the night. They want to lay down. Their backs are bloodied and bruised. You might think they go to despair. But no, they stayed there overnight, singing to God and praying. At midnight, an earthquake hit and destroyed the prison walls and the stocks that had bound them. The prison guard, knowing that if the prisoners escaped, he'd lose his life, he'd be killed. Uh, He went to take his own life, but he was stopped by Paul crying out, We're still in our cell. We haven't gone anywhere. They could have readily escaped, but they didn't. They stayed. And the jailer clearly recognized the miracle of the earthquake as the power of God. And he went over to Paul and Silas and asked them, What must I do to be saved? clearly recognising God's hand in this crazy situation. They tell him, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And at that, the jailer takes them out of the jail, back to his home, where they tell his whole family the gospel of Jesus. And the jailer takes them off to clean up their wounds. And then he and his whole family get baptised. And he takes them back to his house, he sets food before them. And they probably shared the Lord's Supper there and then as they ate together. One moment, enemies, and then by the power of God, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, the jailer is probably this guy who went to work every day, did his best, do a good job. Uh, you know, worked really hard. Come home, sit on the sofa, crack open a beer. Um, you know, just sort of guy. I think many of us, this sort of person, many of us feel like. You know, go to work, want to do a good job, want to come home, we want to relax. You know, it's probably exactly this sort of guy. was obviously probably devoted to his job, even though he had fallen asleep. But you don't bank on an earthquake in the middle of the night, do you? Now, it's likely that these three people were some of the first members of the church of the city of Philippi, a church that was made up of people from all different backgrounds, the wealthy, the managing, and the broken. It wasn't a church for people who were just like one another. It was a motley crew, a mix of the wealthy, the managing the broken and the abused. Maybe you felt an affinity of one of these three already this morning. You know, I thank God that here at BFC, we too are made up of a range of people from all different backgrounds. Several years on, we find Paul sitting uh, in a jail cell, probably in Rome. Again, a prisoner. And the, the Church of Philippi is on his mind and he writes them a letter. And unlike most situations in the letters we have from Paul, uh, Paul doesn't write claiming his status as an apostle um, or to correct a major error. But he writes to share his love for this church. He writes in humility. He declares himself a servant of Jesus. And he, he probably remembers these three people among others writes with the love and affection of a spiritual father. He knows their lives. He knows their backgrounds. He knows the challenges and difficulties that they've all faced to turn to Jesus. The very depths of darkness and pain that they have been pulled from. He also knows the situation they're in as a church. He knows the struggles that they face day to day, individually and together. He'd remember the persecution that he faced in that city knowing that they're probably facing very much similar persecution. Paul says, I I thank God for you. He makes his prayers for them with joy because he knows they're with him as partners in the gospel. They've supported his work in reaching the nations with the good news of Jesus, of sharing God's grace with all those around him. Every time Paul reflects on this church and prays for them, he's filled with joy knowing that in the struggles of following Jesus, they will persevere and will do their best to be faithful to the call that God has put on their lives as individuals and as a church. In this letter, Paul is both encouraged and an encourager. He writes of this amazing assurance that he holds. It says in uh, chapter 1, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion Until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul knows that this church, like us, we won't get it right every time. The good work was started by God, but the people in this church are still imperfect. They still don't get it right, but their heart is to try and honor God in all things and to persevere in following Him. Paul encourages them with this statement of assurance that God is working in this church and these individuals to perfect them and sanctify them day by day by day until the day that Jesus returns. And that work is then completed in a moment. Let me assure us this morning that God is doing the same thing in the lives of believers in this place today. We won't attain perfection of being like Jesus this time of his return, but we become more and more like him day by day if we continue to seek his will and direction for our lives. As we spend time with Jesus in the day-to-day, we steadily become more and more like him. I've noticed um, uh, in my time that I've been with Karen, I've had a I've deleted Facebook from my phone because it's annoying me. But every now and then I have to jump on because the church has a Facebook page, so I have to update that from time to time. And I jumped on the other day, and it popped up with Happy Friendversary. Karen and I have been friends for nine years, uh, day before yesterday, um, on Facebook. Um, so we've been together a reasonable amount of time. You know, We've known each other. But most of you will know that the more time you spend with someone, you start to uh, notice that they've changed you hopefully, for the better. You know, I certainly look at my life, look at what I was like when I met Karen, and what I'm like now, and I think, actually, yeah, she's definitely changed me for the better. You know, and these relationships you find, we're all changeable, aren't we? When we're in a relationship with someone who's changeable, you know, I've noticed some things in Karen where I think, oh, actually, I've changed her as well, hopefully, for the better. Um, But we're all changeable. And um, we're all changed through relationships with other people. But it's different with a relationship to Jesus. Relationship with Jesus. You know, when we spend time with Him, we're spending time with the, the I Am, the One who is unchanging from the very beginning to the very end. When we pursue our relationship with Jesus, first and foremost, we are changed for the better. We are being made perfect. In two Corinthians three eighteen, Paul says that we are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and being transformed from the, into the same image from glory to glory. When we follow Jesus, he continues the good work that he started in us. He continues to perfect and change us whilst never changing himself. And that's part of the wonder of having a relationship with the I am, the eternal God, the unchanging one. So different to every other relationship we might have, A relationship where we know he has no ill intent towards us, that he won't bring out the worst in us. Instead, he makes us better and better. What a privilege it is to know him and to be known by him, to have a relationship with the eternal God. What a security. What a love. There's a wonderful song so many of us will know. It goes, how good it is to be loved by you. How good it is. How good it truly is for us to be loved by the King of Kings, by the Lord of Lords, the great unchangeable I am. And the wonderful thing is we can know this security. We can know this love and this ongoing grace of new life simply by choosing to follow him. Maybe even today he's calling you and awaiting your response. You know, I'd love to chat to you later if you believe that's you, but if, if you're not quite there yet, take some time. Take some time. Ask him. Dwell on whether you believe God is calling you over the next week or two weeks or months. Ask him and seek him. You won't get a bad answer. You know, God knew the people that Paul was going to encounter in Philippi. Those we heard of in Acts, Lydia, the slave girl and the and the jailer, people just like you and just like me. Here, let me encourage you. God knows you this morning as well. He knows your name. He knew you'd be here today. He knew you'd hear this message that I'm sharing with you today. So let's take this seriously. The God of eternity knows your name. He knows who you are. Thank you, God. In um, verse 9, 10, and 11, um, there's some things that we're going to touch more thoroughly on later in the series. Um, But I believe that this prayer that Paul's included in his letter is uh, a prayer for things that we too could be praying for one another in this church. His prayer is that the love of the church would keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that they may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul wants to see this Philippian church grow in love, in knowledge, discernment, that may be pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness. I believe that God loves it when, as individuals and as a church that we grow in these things too. Last week at West Point, I attended two meetings where revival was spoken about. Revival being sort of the the blowing of the wind of the Holy Spirit on on the embers of the church to revive them into a, a roaring flame filled with the presence and power of God. Revival doesn't start with those outside the church, it starts with the church. When the church is aflame with love growing in knowledge, discernment, blamelessness, and righteousness, when we as individuals allow ourselves to be changed to have love like this, that's when we'll see the church flourish in a new way. When we allow ourselves to be revived by the work of the Holy Spirit, then we will see this village reached with the gospel in a much greater measure. The church at Philippi was a church just like ours. Church made up of people from all different backgrounds, people facing all different situations day to day. And God clearly used that church to grow his kingdom. By the time Paul wrote this letter, the church had elders and deacons, which shows it was an established church. By God's grace, the church had grown from maybe just three members to be a church that was ordered and established. More and more people had obviously heard the good news of Jesus and responded by being baptised and added to the number of the local church. And We're a church just like that. We too can see more and more people added to us. and We have seen, and it's wonderful. We too can see more Lydia's, more wealthy business people. We too can see more slave girls who and of slaves, men and women who have broken, who have been abused and need an escape. We can see more and more people coming to this church, more wealthy, managing people as well, like the jailer. More and more people coming to know the good news of Jesus, to know freedom and salvation. You know, tonight and this coming week, you know, we've got multiple opportunities to pray for a revival in this church and in this village. Are you someone here today who's comfortable with everything in your life as it is? You know, if, you're, if you're comfortable, then my role is to bring challenge. Because there is so much more change to come in your life. So much more of Jesus to be revealed and responded to for you. If we're comfortable with everything as it is, then we're not really looking at the need around us and the ways that we can love and support those in need. You know, if you're comfortable, then this week as we gather to pray in, at various times, your prayer needs to be, God, give me a heart for the lost. Give me a heart for the hurting. Give me a heart for the broken. Give me ways to respond to the gospel like Lydia. Help me to lead others to you and to use what I have for your glory. You know, Lydia, upon responding and being baptized, she's like, come on, I've, I've got a house. You can stay in my house. You can use it. You can come here and meet. You know, after they came out of the jailer's house, um, they they got released by the magistrates, and they went back to Lydia's house where everyone was gathered. You know, and she opened her house up like, "Come, use. Be generous." At the other end of the scale, you might be here and hurting this morning. Like Craig, that all sounds really good. I'm too far off. I can't. I can't get to that point. Too far away my role is to bring you comfort, the comfort of the gospel, the comfort of Jesus. If you're hurting here today, as we pray at the end today or tonight or on Wednesday morning or at the 24 hours of prayer next week, let me encourage you, be praying for Jesus to be with you in your hurting, in your suffering, asking him to help you see where he is in all the pain and all the suffering. maybe reflect on the pain and suffering that he went through for you, to free you, to send the Holy Spirit to comfort you. As we're comforted, then, then we can take the challenge bit to get a heart for the lost. But first, we need to be comforted and secure in Jesus. What about joy this morning, then? As we're in our series looking at joy, looking at the start of this letter and its backstory and acts, I think we can see an amazing thing that Jesus offers you. A great place to search for joy is in your home. Jesus offers you his church to call your home. In the good times, in the bad times, I know this church has supported me so wonderfully in the very best of times and in the very hardest of times. Now, the early church began in planting churches, and part of the reason, I believe, is so that believers could come together and walk this life together through the good times, through the hard times, knowing fellowship, knowing love, knowing support as a gathered church. You know, I believe then that we can find great joy in our fellowship together here at BFC. Jesus offers you his local church as your home. Are you willing to receive this part of what he offers you? Paul loved the church at Philippi. You know, as we think about how to apply this message, think of Paul. Think of his love for this church at Philippi. Like Paul, do you love your church? When you pray for your church, do you pray with frustration or, like Paul, do you pray with joy? Do you partner with your church in reaching the people with the gospel, this people with the gospel? Do you take hold of what Jesus offers you? In a moment, we're going to gather into small groups, and we're going to pray for our church. You know We're starting an extended time of prayer this week. We've got three prayer meetings, one of which is 24 hours long. Um, very long prayer meeting. So it's good to start praying now. So what I want you to do, in a minute, is just to gather into groups. Um, and ask round: Is what, what sort of time are you, in? are you in? Ask around your group. Are you in a time of hurting or are you in a time of comfort? And then we're going to pray for each other in our groups. And we're going to pray for the church as well. If all of you are, if you're in a group and you're all comfortable, then you've got some serious praying to be challenged and to, to get moving on with God and picking up the baton and running Um, if you are all challenged and you need something to pray into, then up here there's some, some questions, so you can pray into those things. You know, look, ask yourself those questions, check your response, and then pray into that. Um, yeah. If you find yourself asking the question of do, uh, ask yourself a question, "Do you love your church?" And you're going, "No." then you've got some prayer to do. Um, because you really need to love your church. You know, love isn't a feeling, it's an action. It's a choice. It's something you do. You, know, you choose to do it. Yeah? So even in the frustration, you still reflect with joy. You seek to love your church. I'm going to pray, and then we'll um, uh, maybe we can play a track while we're praying um, together. Um, and then we might respond in worship at the end. But don't give up on this time of prayer. We've got like 15 minutes Okay, so it's a decent wedge of time to pray. Okay, so there's going to be a little bit of movement, a bit of shuffling around, but then let's get together and let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your hand in the creation of this church and in the ongoing growth and development of this church. Lord God, I thank you that you love us individually and you love it when we come together. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd help us find joy in you this morning, and that uh, this grace gift of the church um, will be something we can really get joy from, that we can really love, and we can act upon that love, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.